Art History Babe Briefs. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie, and we are the Art History Babes. We have another Art History Babe brief for you all. I want to quickly, just because I feel like we don't often talk about the fact that we have three different kinds of episodes, and I'm realizing like people find us like all the time and don't really understand the difference between the episodes. So I'm going to try to explain that more often on at the beginning of episodes. So you kind of know that we have our regular long format episodes, which are about different art history topics. We tend to uh, drink during them and they're not edited for like censorship purposes. So they're explicit. And those are a lot more free flowing. We have a lot of tangential conversations. (laughs) There's more tangential conversation. Um, So those are, yeah, just long format, a little freer. These art history babe briefs are shorter, a little less in the term of tangents, uh, just kind of straight to the point. We have, you know, facts about the topic and then we do a little bit of discussion. They are also clean or censored, so there will not be, you know, swear words and those can be used for educational purposes. And then we also have our hot takes episodes. Hot takes episodes are also long format. They are also explicit, but they are on subjects kind of outside of art history that we will look at through maybe a art historical, visual culture kind of lens, but they're also just other topics we want to talk about. So a lot of times they're contemporary television shows or like we did one on conspiracy theories. So if you're a fairly new listener and you don't quite understand our formatting yet, that's kind of a breakdown of the three different kinds of Art History Babes episodes that you can get. That's a good call. (laughs) Um, I want to piggyback off that really quick. Something I've been thinking about lately that we should maybe mention more is downloading episodes and making sure that you're doing that if you're wanting to support us because that's how we get a lot of our help and we move up on charts and can get ads and whatnot and it kind of helps us stay afloat. So versus just listening to it on the internet, like actually downloading it helps us out. So yeah. Some messages from us to you. (laughs) Some housekeeping goodies. Yeah, housekeeping. So today we're talking about the swing. I'm so excited to talk about the swing. It's kind of crazy it took us this long to talk about it. I know. I love this painting. Oh, man, it's so good. (laughs) So another, I guess this is also kind of housekeeping, but also just like a fun thing that we're doing in relation to this episode. So a while back, it was probably like a year and a half or two years ago, I made a playlist that was inspired by the swing. And I'm going to kind of revamp that playlist and make it a little bit more current. And we're going to put it on our Art History Babe Spotify channel. To clarify with Spotify, it's kind of also kind of confusing because our podcast is on Spotify. So if you look us up, you can find our podcast page. But because of the way Spotify does podcasts, we don't have any access to that page at all. It's just like a separate thing. So we started another account that will also be under like the Art History Babes. And that is where we're going to be keeping playlists that are inspired by different works of art. Gonna try and make that kind of a regular thing, mostly just because I love music and it seems fun. (laughs) But for episodes moving forward, we're gonna try and do playlists every so often 
that are inspired by the works that we're talking about. And this will be our first one. So we will link it in the show notes for you, but you can find us on Spotify and we'll have a playlist curated by me that was inspired by Fragonard's The Swing. Go give it a listen and subscribe to us on Spotify if you haven't already. Yeah, follow us, man. Oh, follow. That's what it's called. I'm like, wait, that didn't sound right. <laughs> They're the same thing. Subscribing and following is the same thing. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> so yeah, this wing, it's, this is, I think, come up at various times throughout the course of the podcast, but I have like an unabashed love for Rococo mm-hmm. and it kind of like pops up randomly. So yeah, I don't know. Just jazzed, just jazzed about this episode. And I'm also kind of excited to, because we haven't, I feel like we haven't talked enough about Rococo, so I'm excited to kind of see your thoughts in relation to this work. Yeah, I'm excited to work through it because this is a painting that didn't really attract me the first time I saw it. But obviously, once you learn, and you guys will get there. Once we stop rambling, we'll get, we'll take you there in a little bit. You'll you'll know too. But once you learn the history and the backstory of this painting, it becomes a lot more interesting, contextually and visually. So I grew a love for this painting. But you know, Rococo is just not my personal aesthetic. It's it's a little sugary for me. <laughs> not at all. I um, could not imagine you in like pink frill and lace ever (laughs) oh i can and i would be pouting and i'd look like such a brat (laughs) yeah it's not not particularly your vibe (laughs) it's not but i can appreciate it from afar so i am excited to talk about it and it was a fun time period it's a fun time period to look back on (laughs) definitely before we get into to the facts you want to know like the most hipster bullshit ever yeah, I live in Sacramento, California. I'd love to know the most hipster bullshit ever. <laughs> so back, I want to say circa 2013, my phone case was this painting, was the swing by Fragonar, and then like printed over it in those like white block letters was mm-hmm. a lyric from a Vampire Weekend song. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> Everyone who doesn't know what this painting looks like is looking it up right now. They're like, we're not even going to wait for the visual analysis. We need to know. It said, here comes the feeling you thought you'd forgotten. Ooh, I know, Sandy. right? Right? And I, I wish I still had that phone case, to be completely honest. Like, I loved that phone case so much. I thought it was the dopest thing. I thought I was so cool. I mean, I think it needs to make a reemergence and we'll make it happen somehow. We'll find it again or create one. Well, Vampire I, Vampire Weekend just came out with a new album, so they're making a reemergence. Perfect timing. Let's right? find a new lyric. Let's make that new phone case. Maybe this could be our spring merch. All Vampire Weekend themed just for the hell of it. <laughs> what if that was like our our next merch was just Fragonard's swing with different Vampire Weekend lyrics on top of it? Oh, I love it. <laughs> anyway, right, we promised you guys scripted. We promised educational. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Let's do it. Jean-Auré Fragonard painted The Swing in 1767. The Swing is your quintessential Rococo image. As far as art history goes, this painting is widely recognizable and a perfect representation of the Rococo style, which is characterized by all things decadent and frivolous. The Rococo style is very ornamental, very theatrical, and awash with pastel colors. 
just pastels on pastels. The Rococo style actually grew from the Baroque style of painting and got started circa 1530 with the French school of Fontainebleau. However, Rococo really saw its heyday in early 18th century France during a time of stability and wealth, which resulted in a greater focus on the worldly pleasures and decadence found in Rococo paintings. It's also important to remember that so Rococo was really getting going in the early 18th century, and then the French Revolution occurred at the end of the 18th century. And this happened, obviously, for many reasons, but one of them was it being a backlash against the pleasures and decadence that were enjoyed by the ruling elite and were also depicted in Rococo-style paintings. So I think the, you know, the the general vibe of the French Revolution, it can be seen <laughs> in how how people look at Rococo. I think there was a, a very kind of vicious backlash against Rococo paintings the same way there was a, you know, super violent, super intense revolution. <laughs> so this is one way to kind of think about why the Rococo style in intellectual circles has been very widely disliked and criticized. And a lot of times it's looked down upon from a moral standpoint, from like this kind of virtuous moral high ground. And as a response to Rococo, we started to see a lot more very serious, politically engaged art. The Rococo style and the swing specifically is meant to appeal to your sensual side. And it's not really intended to be particularly intellectual, and many Enlightenment thinkers, such as Diderot, not big fans of Rococo or this painting. So let's do some visual analysis and discuss why the swing is an emblem of the Rococo. So in this painting, a woman in a pink dress swings gleefully through the air in a very idyllic garden scene. The landscape is lush and green with a large tree to the right from which the swing is hung. A couple of pooty fountains and a pond are visible in the background, kind of tucked away in the garden. An older man pushes the swinging woman from behind, blissfully unaware of the rest of the scene, because in front of the woman, a younger man hides in the bushes, reclining and basking in the view. His face kind of seems to be a glow from peering up this woman's skirt. She coyly looks down at him and playfully kicks off a tiny pink slipper in his direction. The swinging takes place in an extremely overgrown garden, kind of to the point that it's out of control. The scene is lush and full, with only a few man-made objects among the organic forms. The swing itself, although barely peeking out from the woman's dress, is made of luxurious red velvet and gold trim. There are three pooty sculptures around the pond, on the far left, one holds a finger to his mouth as if to hush. The two pooty by the water in turn look shocked and embarrassed by the events transpiring. The subject's expressions mimic the chaos of the scene with wide eyes, the woman's eyes being particularly wild. Tucked away, barely noticeable by the older man's feet, is a yapping dog. It has been suggested that the dog, widely considered a symbol of fidelity, may be barking loudly to kind of call them out for their scandalous behavior. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Let's like sit break. on that for a little for a little second before we yeah. get to some symbolism. Good plan. All right, break time. And we are back. So let's talk some symbolism. Just threw a lot of visuals at you guys. Um, let's explain them. At first glance, this painting exudes innocence, but it doesn't take long to pick up on some of the more risque undertones. 
for example, during this time in France, a swing was considered a symbol of infidelity. Between the rhythmic movement of the swing to the position of the body, it was considered a metaphor for sex. So you can kind of envision what they mean. Additionally, (laughs) you you know what they mean. (laughs) You know. Uh, This is our clean episode, so all I'm going to say is you know. (laughs) Additionally, the fountain she faces and kicks her shoe toward could be a nod to Cupid, the Roman god of desire and lust. Cupid raises his finger to his lips. Is this an attempt at hushing the barking dog? The hardly visible but obviously aggravated dog is barking at the man pushing the swing, but to no avail. The pup's warnings are going unnoticed by this oblivious man, and desire is overpowering fidelity in the scene. And just the cherry on top, if peering up her skirt isn't kind of scandalous enough, the angle of his outstretched arm is just undeniably phallic. (laughs) Yup. This painting, it's so, I like... We'll get into this a little more, but it's so sugary, but it's so dirty. Rotten underneath. (laughs) And that's the whole thing about the Rococo is that it's sugary in appearance, but then it's got this seedy underbelly. Mm -hmm. So the commission of this painting. So this painting was commissioned by Baron de Saint-Julien, and it depicts his current or soon-to-be mistress being pushed on a swing by weirdly enough, her husband. The Baron is the young man gazing up her skirt in the foreground, and that's what he kind of commissioned. And he actually wanted the pusher to be a bishop, but Fragonard was like, you know, it would be way funnier. (laughs) 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 Let's make it her husband. Just personal thoughts. I kind of like the bishop. I kind of think that's like more fun, you know, like, because the bishop represents like the church and everything the church represents and stuff. And it's kind of like placing this scene of almost like sexual abandon at the hands of a bishop. I think that's kind of an interesting move. I think you're right. I don't think they were ready for it. I, I, <laughs> yeah, at the fair. time, this in itself was like scandalous enough, actually visually representing a situation that happened all the time. Like it wasn't an uncommon thing. But it wasn't talked about. It definitely wasn't painted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think he was just easing people into <laughs> the shock. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, if someone wants to remake it with a bishop, I'd be super down to see what that looks like. So. For sure. A contemporary swing. I'd be into Let's, it. Ooh. I wonder if that exists. I feel like this image has had to have been appropriated by contemporary artists i would be really surprised if it hasn't in some you know meaningful way yet for real and if not then it's probably going to happen like right now because yeah we're, yeah we're doing. yeah and we're in a similar yeah. space too you know like i think our generation like we grew up in a time of wealth and stability and frivolity and now we're like dealing with a lot of revolutionary stuff i think this painting is timely in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is a yes for me. Yeah, Fragonard depicts the whole dynamic of this love triangle in true Rococo fashion, but whether the affair was already happening at this point in time or merely impending, we have no way of knowing. Yeah, we just get to speculate because who doesn't love to speculate? (laughs) I mean, we, we're art historians. It's a large part of what we do. <laughs> if you don't know that by now, welcome. So just kind of a fun little 
question for us to parse through. In terms of the way the painting is done and she's depicted, do you think that she's being positioned as more of an object and being objectified in a way? Or do you think she's kind of an instigator in the scene and being a little more manipulative? I really like this question because if I'm being really honest and trying to like not just go off my own feelings, but just like look at the whole painting and the context, I think both. Mm -hmm. I think the way she looks, the way she's positioned herself, like she's very coy. She's very playful. Yeah, I think there's totally an aspect of like she is in some kind of control in this situation, just like visually speaking. You know, she is the focal point. She's like right there on that diagonal. She is in control of the image. And I also think in some way she's in control of the situation. But at the same time, yeah, 100% there's an objectification going on here too. You know, I think just having her in the position of being between two men, you have an objectification happening. Yeah, no, I think you're right though in it being both. And I agree because... In this situation, she's the mistress, but she's also the wife. So she's kind of playing out both sides of this, at this point, French cliche mm-hmm. of the mistress. There's not even really, there's not a male word for it, is there? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> that, that's, that's dumb. Yeah, let's change that. <laughs> a mister. Yeah, a mister. Yeah, does, yeah, maybe, maybe, is that what they use? Mister? I don't think they have one. I think it's one of those uh, gendered things. Write us in with your ideas of what a male mistress should be called. <laughs> or if we're wrong and there is a word, let us know. Yeah, please is. do. <laughs> yeah, she's getting to be both. She's inhabiting this stereotypically male persona by cheating on her husband, but she's also being a mistress to this other man. So relationship-wise, interesting. Yeah, not not an unknown dynamic. Yeah, and she's definitely, you know, defined by her relationships with these two men in this image as well, you know, which kind of lends to the objectification element. And now I'm thinking back to the idea of it being a bishop. And once again, I think that would be like super interesting if, yeah, she was being defined by her person, whatever he is, the person she's she's sleeping with and defined by her like relationship to the church, like defined by a bishop, that could be, I feel like that would be really interesting too, but that's more of me running away with an idea that didn't actually come to fruition. Um, oh, oh, what could have been? Maybe yeah. the French Revolution would have never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could have prevented the French Revolution. <laughs> oh, uh, man. <laughs> I guess I, I should say before we move on to another topic that while we're kind of making cases for her not or I've been making cases particularly for not being objectified only because it's so easy to make any case for her being objectified in this painting. And yeah. we, sh- we should mention that when the Baron asked for this painting, he particularly wanted her ankle showing, if not more. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's for sure for the purpose of him looking at her, <laughs> like 100 percent. Yeah, that is what Fragonard did with it is a lot more interesting. And it's he made it a fun painting, but the commission's 
sole purpose was for this man to be able to look at his mistress when she's not around. Um, yeah, totally. I think, yeah, you're definitely right. Like the intention, there's a total intention of objectification there. But yeah, I also think this image is kind of interesting in that discussion because like you said, you can undeniably make the case for her being objectified. You can look at it through this critical feminist lens, which you should, like that's important. But what I do think is cool about the painting and interesting about the painting is it does lend itself to interesting thoughts about agency. Because while we can be real about that and be real about the fact that, yeah, like the purpose of this painting, there was an objectification going on and there's some issues with that. We can also, you know, we don't have to see the the female figure as a victim at all either you know like she does have agency in the situation and the image like you said like the purpose of the image may have been a little more tied up in the patriarchy and like misogyny but like the image that was created seems to have it seems to have more nuance i guess is what i'm getting at yeah no it definitely has more nuance and i would give all that credit to fragonard and none Mm -hmm. to the baron Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. (laughs) I guess that kind of leads to other stuff I want to say. So I just have uh, some thoughts and feelies that I want to put out there just because Rococo is so often, I don't know, like shut down as being like almost like anti-intellectual art. I guess to some degree, I'm like, is that so bad though? Like, does every like artwork need to be making a huge like political intellectual statement? That's like number one. But two, I feel like we've had some really interesting intellectual discussion concerning this painting for it being anti-intellectual. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're still making the case for it being anti-intellectual at this point, you're just being a jerk. (laughs) For an explicit episode, I'd be using another word. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of I feel like at least at this point. Like, I understand the backlash that happened because of the French Revolution. Like, that totally makes sense. But, yeah, at this point, like, it kind of feels kind of feels like a cop-out, in my opinion, to just, like, shut down this work and, like, other Rococo works as being almost meaningless and frivolous. Yeah, you can, you can criticize the time and what was going on, but you have to separate the artist, which we talk about a lot, But, like, separate him and what he's doing from all of that because he's actually doing interesting things despite the culture and despite what he's being asked to do. Like, he got asked to make a pretty, well, in in Corey's mind, interesting painting. But (laughs) but even, like, all the little nuances of, like, fidelity and secret keeping and all of that, like, that is all Fragonar. That would not have been the Baron's input. So, it's yeah, you're exactly right. It's lazy and don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, my like personal love from this work honestly comes largely, largely from a place of personal interpretation more than anything else. Like I've always liked this work and I, I, I enjoy learning about it and learning context because it just adds layers. But I always just something about this work just hit me. Like it made me feel things. I just really always enjoyed it. And I, I think to some extent my love for it comes from the fact that looking at this image just like makes me feel good. It represents simple basic pleasures of life yes there is like frivolity but what's so great about this painting isn't the luxuriousness of like the dress she's wearing i don't think i think it has a lot more to do 
with just the image of what is going on. And obviously these images are easy to critique in terms of political issues and class consciousness and complicated dynamics of this specific relationship. And it's really important to do so. And it's really interesting to do so. But for me personally, when I look at this image, it really does feel incredibly innocent to me, even though it is, you know, sexy and scandalous. It is also this like representation of the basic human desires and it evokes this sense of abandon and like, to me, it just, it feels like being in love and being playful with your crush and swinging high in the air in a lush garden. And I don't really know a much better feeling than that. Kind of makes me feel giddy in a way. I like that. What did you just say? Playful, playful with your crush. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's in a garden and that, that is kind of what it is. If you take away the dirtiness of it, like that is exactly what's happening. It's yeah. two people who are in love and in that kind of infatuation stage and they're having fun. Yeah. And then you think too about the, just the sensation of being on a swing that gets like the butterflies going in your stomach. To me, really like looking at this image and like kind of letting my emotions take over, it evokes those butterflies, which Mm -hmm. is just like such an innocent, fun feeling. And one that I think when you're I don't know, when you're an adult caught up in the craziness of life, like sometimes we could use more of that fun feeling, you know, like it just like, it just feels good. But then I think some part of me also does find something valuable and something interesting from the dark side, the seedier side of it, because that also just kind of represents getting really... I don't know, esoteric at this point, but it kind of represents like the balance of things. There's innocence and there's joy and there's pleasure. But with every amazing, great, euphoric feeling, there's darkness. I think it there's like a dynamism. Like it's a very dynamic image, I think, when you when you wrap it all together, when you take the emotions and the colors and the frivolity, and then you take the context and kind of the heaviness and the complicated aspects of it. It's just a lot. Like <laughs> to me it's very powerful. I think that's why I loved the image from the from the first time I saw it to why I continue to love it, because for me, learning about it has just made it more interesting. No, I think you're completely right. I mean, it's just a painting full of like lush passion and mm-hmm. play. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. Those are two things I love. <laughs> passion and uh, yeah, playful passion. Like that's a great thing. So do you have any, any other thoughts on this I guy? Think that's, that's all we got for this one. A quick thing I wanted to mention. I found while researching this painting, there's a ASMR YouTube channel. If you're unfamiliar, ASMR is like this huge thing. Um, on YouTube, it stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. People who do it, they just do various things and they basically kind of talk in like this lower, slower, kind of like almost sensuous tone of voice. And it creates for a lot of people, not everyone, but it creates this kind of calming experience, this like kind of tingly experience. A lot of people use it to calm anxiety. And ASMR channels are like huge now. And I found an ASMR channel, which is focused on like history and art history. And so there's a guy who talks all about Fragonard's The Swing, tells the history of it, 
but in ASMR. <laughs> and it's like very enjoyable, but also I thought it was an interesting parallel to the artwork itself mm-hmm. because ASMR is something like a lot of people have kind of been trying to like talk through it and figure out why it has this effect on people. And like some people do make the argument that it's just straight up sexual, but I don't think it is just like sexual for a lot of people, but I do think there is a sensuality to it in that sense that it makes you kind of tingly and like warm. I don't think it's necessarily like sexual, like dirty, but you know, there's a sensuality to it and it like taps 21st century sexuality, not 18th century sexuality. We'll just say that like we have a lot broader understanding of what sexuality is now. And hopefully no one listening thinks that sex is dirty. Yeah, there we go. That's a that was a great way to put it. So there's a sensuality to it in that it's tapping into your senses and and things and so that being one of the primary themes of this painting, I just thought it was interesting, you know, this ASMR experience of learning about this painting. So uh we'll link it down below for you so you can check it out yourself. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. If you are out there studying for the AP art history exam, make sure to head over to arthistorybabes.com and check out our page that we have compiled all of our content that we've made that is relevant for the exam so you can use some of our resources to help you study check us out on all the social media head over to the youtube you know all the good stuff also if you have not make sure to check out artandobject.com it is a really great website full of great resources for learning art history as well as just like staying on top of what's going on in the contemporary art world so that's art a n d object.com that's it guys all right see you next time hear you next time bye from I think I'm going to start over because I think I sounded a little too theatrical reading that. I, I started out I started out too strong and I didn't know where to go from there. So start like, over. like a happy birthday sign. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Went too big, too fast and then ran out of room. You know it. Tiny why.